Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 14th episode of our limited series, Audio Judo Does Jazz. I'm Kyle from the podcast Audio Judo, and I'm here to introduce this episode. But first, I want to mention that both Audio Judo and Audio Judo Does Jazz are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you are interested in any genre of music, music history, or just want to discover great new music, Pantheon has got at least one podcast that you'll love. Visit PantheonPodcasts.com to see the entire catalog. On this episode of Audio Judo Does Jazz, Chris talks about a lesser-known but incredibly talented jazz musician, Rasan Roland Kirk. A multi-instrumentalist, he was known for playing the tenor sax, the flute, the clarinet, the manzello, which is a modified saxello soprano saxophone, the stritch, which is an alto sax without the upturned bell, and a number of homemade instruments. He was also well known for playing the nose flute, which is exactly what it sounds like. Here's Chris to tell you a little more. Rasan Roland Kirk is a world-class tenor saxophone player. That alone would be reason enough to give him a listen. He's also a world-class flautist. Okay, now he's in Eric Dolphy territory, a world-class multi-instrumentalist. Well, what if I were to say that the man could play three horns at once? He doesn't just play one sound through those three horns. It's not just the sound of hot air coming out like a single note. The man can play two melodies at once. He can play a melody and accompany himself. He is a one-man horn section. But let's not stop there. The man plays nose flute. He plays a flute utilizing his nose. And it doesn't sound like some elementary school kid learning to play the recorder. It sounds great. On record, sometimes I don't know if he's playing a regular flute or the nose flute. When he's up on that stage playing live, and there's enough footage of this on YouTube to back me up on this, he looks armed to the teeth with an arsenal of instruments. He's got three horns wrapped around his neck, the tenor sax and the two lesser-known horns, the manzello and the stritch. He's got a flute as well as the nose flute. I've also seen him play a conch shell contraption. There's a gong nearby. There's several items he utilizes for various elements of percussion. He's also got a whistle siren he uses to punctuate the end of some of his solos. On stage, he's a poet, a philosopher, and a comedian. In the studio, he doesn't just play songs by Duke and Bird and Monk and Train and Mingus. He reaches all the way back to the origins of jazz, going back to New Orleans. He plays the blues. He played the current pop songs of the day back in the 60s and 70s. Sometimes his sax playing is as free as anyone who plays in the avant-garde. And sometimes he regales you on flute with some of the most beautiful songs you've ever heard. In the second episode of Audio Judo Does Jazz, I stated that listening to Miles Davis's first great quintet in all of their recordings in 1956 is the single best place for anyone to start listening to jazz. Well, I still think that's true. I think listening to the music of Rasan Roland Kirk might just be as viable a first option. To look at him on stage, he appears to be a one-man band with all these instruments hanging around his neck. Actually, he's a one-man jukebox, covering the entire breadth of the spectrum of jazz. He defines and redefines what jazz is and all that it encompasses. 
He doesn't push the music out in the way Ornette Coleman did or some of the other free musicians. He pushes it out to let you know all that it includes. He's the historian. He is the greatest curator of black classical music. He is the antidote to the sour taste left in our present-day mouse. Prepare thyself to deal with the miracle. I give you Rasan Roland Kirk. That was Pedal Up from the album Bright Moments, one of Rasan Roland Kirk's finest albums. I wholeheartedly recommend it to you. There are a handful of songs on that record that bring the joy, and I can think of no better place to start than there. And yes, the horns that you hear are being played by him at the same time. It's a live show. I think there are only two being played, but I could be wrong. Before I get into his history, I would like to let classic rock fans know the following. One. Jimi Hendrix idolized Kirk and had hoped to collaborate with him one day. 2. Frank Zappa had been influenced by Kirk's music early on in his career. He is cited as one of Zappa's musical influences on his debut album, Freak Out. And 3. If you've ever asked the question, why on earth did Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull ever bring the flute into rock and roll music? The answer is Rasan Roland Kirk. Anderson learned his vocalizing style on the flute and recorded Kirk's very own composition, Serenade to a Cuckoo, on Jethro Tull's first album, This Was. They're not the only musicians who were ever influenced by him, but I think the three of them speak to the wide spectrum of music that he informed. He was born Ronald Kirk in Columbus, Ohio in 1935. He became blind at two years old as a result of improper medical treatment. From the age of five, he could imitate a bugle with a water hose. He said, I didn't ask my mother to buy me a trumpet or violin. I started right on the water hose. What he lacked in sight, he made up for with vision. He dreamt all the time about different sounds, always in search of new sounds and different ways to create them. This is how he came across the Manzello. A local music shop had the scraps of a King Saxello soprano, which was an archaic horn from an old Spanish village with an upturned bell. He also discovered a stritch, which is an alto saxophone without the upturned bell at the end. For him, necessity became the mother of invention. His playing of two and three different horns began as sounds and dreams he could hear, but couldn't process on a singular instrument. By age 15, he was on the road playing rhythm and blues on weekends. Hank Crawford, who would go on to be the band leader for Ray Charles' band, recalls that even at 14 or 15, he could already play two instruments and knocked out everybody. He was an original from the beginning, he said. Around this time, he went to St. Louis to hear Charlie Parker play. When Parker began playing a song called Half Nelson, Kirk pulled out a flute and started playing quietly along, but not quiet enough as Bird heard him from the stand. Parker eventually chatted with Kirk and encouraged him to keep playing, as it was obvious to the baddest dude of the era that Kirk had something rich inside of him. 
That's Rasan Roland Kirk showing his ability to play numerous things at the same time on a track called Multi-Horn Variations, from the album The Man Who Cried Fire. His first album, entitled Triple Threat, recorded in November 1956, has a picture of him blowing three horns at once on the cover. It sounds conventional compared to all of his other albums. Well, as conventional an album could be for a guy playing three instruments at the same time. There's little of what made him special on that album, and I'm not sure that it's essential listening for you. His next few albums got progressively better. Introducing Roland Kirk, recorded in 1960, is a soulful record. He plays off another sax player named Ira Sullivan. I quite enjoy it. It's got a laid-back sound, only perking up in the last couple of tracks. He plays well. The tunes are consistent and enjoyable to listen to, but it only displays one facet of his playing. No flute is performed on the entire record. It's also a reminder of how little I enjoy organ playing in jazz, as Ron Burton plays it on the opening track. In 1961, he starts to hit his stride as a recording artist. In August 1961, he records his We Free Kings album. In November, he records the album Oh Yeah! in a match made in jazz heaven with Charles Mingus. With both of them being both jazz traditionalists as well as iconoclastic figures, their chemistry is explosive. I highly recommend that one. In my research, I haven't been able to nail down exactly how far into his career Rasan Roland Kirk had been viewed as a novelty act. They said he's smacked of gimmicks, playing three horns at once, playing the flute with your nose, holding a note for 20, 30, 40 minutes at a time, playing a song reportedly for over two hours without taking a second breath due to his circular breathing. I haven't read enough to know whether he'd been viewed that way by peers, critics, or audience members, or all three. I'm sure, after these two recordings, his ability was on full display for all to hear. I don't understand how his masterful playing of all these horns is worthy of criticism. Why would anyone write him off, or attempt to make him feel less than? These should be reasons to think more of him. I mean, how extraordinary is that? It's not like he's Gallagher the Comedian smashing watermelons with a huge mallet for some reason. No. The number of instruments he plays and how he plays those instruments are a means to an end. He is a blind man who dreams in sounds, plays all these instruments to discover and explore these sounds. To his credit, Kirk didn't let what other people say about him define him. He's a great example for all of us to follow. To not let what other people say about us define us. In fact, he didn't even let his parents define him. He initially changed his name from Ronald to Roland. Later on, after another dream he had, he changed his name again, this time to Rasan. I remember years before I met my wife, seeing a girl with the cutest nose I'd ever seen. Well, that's fine and dandy. Would you want to be someone who is defined as being the girl who has a cute nose? I mean, that's kind of weird and diminishing. Being defined as anything or called anything really tends to make people feel awkward or anxious, which is, I guess, why being defined as being on one side or another has driven our country crazy. I imagine most all of us are multi-layered, somewhere in the middle kind of people. If I learned anything by watching Apocalypse Now, it's got to be that judgment defeats us, and it feels like everyone is losing. 
can we drop the rhetoric and meet somewhere in the middle with all of our respective layers and talk like normal human beings again? That was You Did It, You Did It from the Man Who Cried Fire album, a recording originally on the We Free Kings album played more memorably here. I don't know exactly how to play the flute, but I don't think the original inventors had this song in mind. The dude sounds pissed off. I don't know how he's doing it. Not sure if he's using a real flute or a nose flute, or if he's talking while utilizing his nose, but it sounds similar to what Peter Frampton does utilizing the talk box on Do You Feel Like We Do on Frampton Comes Alive. So, going into the process of making this episode, I own quite a few Rassan records. But what I had only gave me a hodgepodge of understanding the through line of his career. There are a lot of gaps to fill with records I hadn't discovered yet, but it's been a thoroughly enjoyable process. The albums I already have are highly enjoyable, and I would recommend every single one. One, We Free Kings, which, as I said, is probably his first fully realized album from 1961. Two, Rip Rig and Panic from 1965. This album has several of his better songs on it. Rip Rig and Panic is especially noteworthy because of the band who plays on it. Jackie Byard on piano, Richard Davis on bass, and Alvin Jones on drums. Three, the 32 jazz label run by Rassan's producer and good friend Joel Dorn, which specialized in reissuing numerous jazz recordings, released a four-album set referred to as Aces back-to-back in the late 90s. These four albums consist of Left and Right from 1968, Rasan Rasan from 1970, Prepare Thyself to Deal with a Miracle from 1973, and Other Folks Music from 1976. Of these four, Prepare Thyself to Deal with a Miracle is my favorite, mainly because it has what might be his greatest achievement, the 21-minute song Saxophone Concerto. Four, another release from the 32 Jazz label, Dog Ears in the Fourth Ring, is a three-disc set. Two of the discs are live recordings from 1963 to 1975, personally recorded by a man named George Bonifacio. These recordings are essential to understanding what he sounded like live throughout that time. The third disc is a rare album called Natural Black Inventions, Root Strata, from 1971. I can't say it's my favorite Rassan Roland Kirk album. It's experimental. Perhaps I haven't given it enough of a chance. Five, Bright Moments a two-disc live recording from 1973, which is fantastic. It's the antidote to doldrums, to depression, to feeling too much. I guess if I had to recommend any one recording to anybody, it would be this album. And six, The Man Who Cried Fire, which is a hodgepodge of live recordings from the mid-70s. I began my research by listening to The Man Who Cried Fire, because I wasn't all that familiar with it. The first track is called Slow Blues, a song he played on clarinet, and while listening to it, I thought, God, this is like the most definitive Rassan song. The second track is actually him playing trumpet, I think, as that would have been a rare occurrence, playing the song in the style of Miles Davis as he did in 1956. He ended the trumpet solo 
and immediately started playing sax before it faded out. If I have any qualms with The Man Who Cried Fire, it's that several tracks are over on record before it's actually completed in real life. I'm not going to say it's a definitive track, but it adds to a stew, as does Multi-Horn Variations, which is a recording of him playing several instruments at once. The fifth track is that aggressive flute song called You Did It, You Did It. Well, as you heard, it's not the flute being the aggressor so much, more the voice of the man playing the flute. And then there's a track called New Orleans Fantasy, which takes us all the way back to the origins of jazz. They all sound definitive. They all sound rasan. They all sound like a facet of what he's trying to accomplish with his music. In an interview in 1974 with his close friend Todd Barkhan, he said, You don't see the European classical musicians allowing the music of Bach, Brahms, or Beethoven to become extinct. The music has gone on for centuries. We have the same obligation. Why do we have to become so hip that we can say, Bebop is square, or New Orleans is square? This, to me, is a shame. I feel a responsibility is placed upon me when I pick up a saxophone. People like Ben Webster and Coleman Hawkins and John Coltrane left music here to be played, and I feel it's a part of my calling to keep this music alive. I do think you can take any of this music and put it into the present times. That was Dem Red Beans and Rice from the Bright Moments album, a call for his band to play music from Old New Orleans. As I mentioned before, I think his Bright Moments album is a great place for anyone who is interested in Rassan. As I started listening to more albums of his, I began to understand that he didn't record songs and albums to get sales. The songs are mostly eclectic mixes of his own compositions, some songs made famous by other stars, and the pop songs of the day. These songs were chosen for a reason. Kirk is clearly confident in his playing, so he never chose a song to show himself off, so much as he chose a song to show how great it is, and to show how great this music is, this black classical music. They were chosen to show that the spectrum is so broad, it defies definition. So there's albums like I Talk to the Spirits from 1964, which is his all-flute album. There's an album from 1965 called Slightly Latin, where all the songs are, you guessed it, Slightly Latin. There's also an album called A Meeting of the Times, performed with a vocalist named Al Hibbler. The record focuses in on the music of Duke Ellington. But to tell you the truth, I'm not a big fan of that one. I don't think I'm all in on male lead singers, though I'm definitely enjoying what I've heard from Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald. Then, there are several albums where he blends songs from other acts with songs of his own and with songs from the popular music of the day in order to show that it's all the same. It all comes from the same well. These would include albums like Left and Right from 1968, Volunteered Slavery, which was recorded in 1968 and 1969, Blackness, which was recorded in 1972, and a more obviously titled Other Folks Music from 1976. The Volunteered Slavery album has two major highlights for me. 
The title track opens the record, and about halfway into it, they start playing the na-na-na-na end part of Hey Jude. His version of I Say a Little Prayer kicks all kinds of ass. He also does a pretty straight version of My Sharia More on there, which I think most of you would enjoy. The Case of the Three-Sided Dream in Audio Color is the closest thing he ever comes to a concept album, with little bits and pieces stuck in between the songs. Oddly enough, he performs a handful of songs twice, in a different manner each time. Among them is a fantastic track called Portrait of Those Beautiful Ladies, and it goes a little something like this. Jazz is more than collective improvisation. It's more than recordings on vinyl or plastic discs. It's more than what you hear at live shows at clubs. It's a feeling. It's got groove. It's got meaning. It's a time. It's a place. It's emotion. Jazz is the way we are feeling. No, wait a second. That's not jazz. That's Greece. Let me start again. Jazz is more than collective improvisation. It's that feeling deep in our soul we live for. So much of our lives are engulfed in toil, in blood, in stop signs, in the mundanities of life, in the time between when things actually happen. We search for love and hope and color and meaning and dream for something better. Jazz gets you out of your comfort zone. It breaks your normal stride and forces you to invent on the spot. Can we get out of this comfort zone a tribalism that has infected this country? Can we collectively improvise in order to break the spell? Can we fulfill the promise set forth by our forefathers? Or must we always live in the discrepancies of their differences, of their sins? That is the song Juarez from Roland Kirk's slightly Latin album that he recorded in 1965. It's a new album I just started listening to the other day, actually. It's Kirk's composition, and I just thought that the best part of the song wasn't his solo, but the ensemble playing that takes place after his solo. This is just one of several albums that I listened to for the first time in this process. It's indicative of what he attempted to do in curating black classical music incorporating a Latin tinge to spice it up a little bit. A few mornings ago, my daughter started singing My Favorite Things. It had nothing to do with my jazz podcast. In school, she and her friends are learning that song, as well as Do Re Mi from The Sound of Music in music class. In fact, last night at the trunk or treat held at her school, she and a number of her friends spontaneously broke into Do Re Mi. Casey had been the only one who really knew the tea, a drink with jam and bread line. And I just thought to myself, bright moments, bright moments. I hadn't really watched Casey with the friends she's made the last couple years. I didn't know she had so many. 
I didn't know she warned the scream from afar, hey Casey, run over to her and hug thing that kids get, and I thought, bright moments, bright moments. That other morning, while I drove her out to the bus stop, I played the first minute or two of Coltrane's version of My Favorite Things. When she recognized the melody of the song, this spark flashed across her eyes. Hey dad, she said, raindrops and roses and whiskers and kittens. More bright moments. So I'd love to pass my love of Rasan Roll and Kirk onto you, and jazz in general, of course. But if I could inspire you to make a connection with a loved one, to pass something positive down to them, to create a spark, something from your history or from history at large, to witness a bright moment, I think Rasan would be happy with that for the time being. Bright moments, everyone. God bless you. All my love, Chris. And that's Rasan Roland Kirk. I know we bring this up every time we see it in our research, but Rasan is yet another artist whose works were destroyed in the 2008 Universal Fire, so cherish the works that we still have of his. Among those, Chris recommends Bright Moments, Rip Rig and Panic, Prepare Thyself to Deal with a Miracle, The Man Who Cried Fire, I Talk with the Spirits, which Chris notes is a full on flute album, Volunteered Slavery, which Chris notes If you'd like to see him incorporate pop music into his jazz, this is your album. And Slightly Latin, which is great if you're looking for something slightly Latin. Really, Chris says, you can try most any of his work and you'll probably enjoy it. You might also try him as a sideman on Charles Mingus's Oh Yeah, Jackie Bayard's The Jackie Bayard Experience, Roy Haynes' Out of the Afternoon, or Quincy Jones's Walking in Space. Give a few of those a listen and then get in touch and let us know what you think. Our website is audiojudo.com forward slash AJDJ. Audio Judo does jazz. Facebook.com forward slash Audio Judo does jazz. At Audio Judo Jazz on Twitter. Or email us jazz at audiojudo.com. For a direct line to Chris with your questions or comments, email chris at audiojudo.com. Also, if you're interested in finding some non-jazz music to listen to, give our original podcast, Audio Judo, a try. You can find more at audiojudo.com. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.